sports fans. Uh, we've been gone for about a week or so, but you're not able to get rid of us that easily. The rooftop radio guys are back. Have a little bit of a lineup change here for a little bit. We got three guys with us tonight. I'll be your host tonight, Skip Dralis, uh, joined by Jerry and Ryan Skinner. So, gentlemen, how you doing? Doing well. Right, Glad to have you guys here tonight. Um, quite a bit of news and just you know general happenings going on in the Chicago sports landscape recently. So we'll make sure we touch on a lot of that stuff. Um, first off, you know have a lot additional stuff to go over just because we were gone for a week. So, um, you know, the bears had two games since we've been here. Bulls got underway. Blackhawks are still, uh, getting their season under underway as well. Um, so we'll make sure to touch on all of that and maybe even add a new segment or two here as we go. Um, but fresh off of the week seven game for the bears last, uh, yesterday, yesterday afternoon, We'll uh, start there. I don't think there's a better place to start than with the Chicago Bears. So uh, what are you guys thinking? How do we feel after the Week 7 loss to Tom Brady and company? I'm excited still. I don't know how you guys feel, but, I, I mean, the, the Dolphins' loss was tough. Kind of handed that one away. But, I mean, they were touched on away, a yard away from going overtime with the Patriots, who are a dynasty uh, since we've been alive and watching football here. Um, so, I mean, I think that's super impressive that they're at that level. And I think they were so far away from that the last two years. And um, I mean, we can get in the midst a little bit later, but I think I'm still very excited. And I think they're inching closer and closer to what we're all kind of hoping they're going to turn out to be. Ryan, you nailed it. Two, two thoughts after that game was, it's kind of cool having a different standard of um, expectations here in Chicago. Just a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, if the Bears were within 14 points of the Pats, we considered that a win. Um, now we go into that game. We don't. I won't say we expect to win, but there's a, we know there's a chance we win. Um, biggest thing for me, and I, I've said it all day, is – not that I'm ever okay with a Bears loss, but this is the first loss of the three that um, I don't think that they could, while they could have won, it's not a should have won like Miami and Green Bay. They were outplayed, outcoached, in my opinion. Um, when you play a team like the Patriots, your margin for error is so thin. And the Patriots, like they do to a lot of other teams, they expose that um, real bad. So I'm still excited, like you said, Ryan, but, um, you know, obviously disappointed with three and three. I still believe they should be five and one, but onto the jets. Yeah. That's really the mindset we have to have at this point is, you know, onto the next game, both of which with the jets and then the bills following that both should be very winnable games for the bears. Um, so those are the kind of games that you have to take advantage of. They should have beaten the Cardinals. They should have beaten the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They were able to get both of those done. So hopefully they are able to get to that five and three mark after the next two weeks. Um, but I think, you know, kind of piggybacking off what Jerry said, kind of just the different level of expectation. I think that's, you know, that's definitely noticeable, especially on the off offensive side of the ball. Mitchell didn't have a very good game. You know, you could argue that it was one of his worst in some, uh, some aspects, but the offense still was able to put up what 31 points. Like, like you said, you know, in years past, if the bears were playing poorly, they were getting beat 30 to 10 or maybe not even scoring a touchdown. So it's just a completely different level of competency. And then as a result of that, you know, different level of expectation as well. So 
you know, definitely disappointing that it, it never is fun to watch that team lose, you know, kind of can tend to ruin the weekend a little bit, but one, one specific piece in terms of the being out coached and just the different level of, you know, preparedness that the Patriots seem to have over every other team. Um, and this is something I know Jerry referenced throughout the day, the, the blocked punt, and Jerry, you can go on about this a little bit if you want, but just, you know, the fact that they, they noticed a little bit of a, an issue with the Bears alignment and, and really took advantage of it. Yeah, no, um, really interesting. If you break that play down, um, Patriots don't really give a who, who's in. They want the best matchup possible. So what they did was they put Donta Hightower, Pro Bowl, Beast linebacker in their nose tackle. And the whole point of that play was to pretty much bull rush and push back the guard and tackle on that punt formation and do exactly what they did. And that's because they saw the weakness that the bears had and they exposed it. And obviously um, it was a huge play, huge turning point. And that game is, I put, I think it was tied at that point. Um, and so that's just the Patriots, the Patriot way everyone talks about. They see weaknesses, they expose them. They don't care if you're the third string, you know, linebacker, they're going to put who's who is going to be out there to help them win the game, in my opinion. And that really showed their, um, you know, how often you see a nose tackle on a punt return, you don't. And it's just those little things they do better than everybody else, uh, in my opinion. And it, it cut, you could argue it cost the Bears a game. Yeah, and I mean, that's something not only the coaching staff having the awareness of that opportunity, but, you know, maybe on another team, those players, that player or players questions why they're being used in that capacity or they're out there and they're, thinking they're above being on the special teams unit and maybe it's not executed properly. It's just, you know, the Patriots have found a way to, to time and time again, take advantage of the smallest of advantages that they can find. And, and they do it far more often and far better than every other team in the league. So that was just, you know, a really interesting individual piece that, that came out after the game um, in, in a few different articles that I read today. Um, but I guess the, um, the, the biggest part of the Bears, and it is every every week, got to touch on the quarterback, got to touch on number 10. So, Skinner, what did you see out of Mitchell Trubisky yesterday? Um, yeah, I mean, he, he disappointed me on a couple plays, but I still think there's a lot of growth happening. Um, I mean, on his feet and exciting plays. Uh, I mean, the one run where he literally stopped and then yeah. – let let the blockers get get the lead blockers get in front of them and then extend it another ten yards or whatever. Um, I think those are awesome plays to see and exciting. And I mean, we kind of lacked that for the last on um, offensive side of the ball since I I mean we've never had that honestly, um, which is awesome to see. But what I'm kind of lost with is the inaccuracy of some of these throws he's got. He overthrew Gabriel twice um, going down the field yesterday and then the Miller throw definitely kind of upset me just because that was a touchdown and that that was a huge swing of momentum back to the Patriots it was a great play great pick but I mean he just can't leave that one short when Miller's got him beat so I don't know I'm a little confused because last year I think the one thing we heard so much about him was that he was so accurate and um, I don't know I just don't see that this year yeah Outside of the Tampa Bay game. Um, and I know we're talking Mitchell. I got to – and I know uh, Nagy was pretty high on him um, after the game, which I totally respect. You have to be – you can't 
be saying anything negative about your quarterback, but I don't know how anybody can agree that he had a good game. I know he, you see the stat line, you're like, wow, that's pretty good, 333 yards. Um, but let's be real here. He's 26 for 50. That's not very good. Uh, a lot of the, a huge chunk of those yards. I, I was reading an article. Uh, Brad Biggs, Bears beat writer for the Tribune, um, was talking about some of those garbage yards he's picking up. Uh, let alone that 54 yarder to Kevin White at the end. End of the first half, he got a chunk because um, New England was playing bend don't break defense. Um, so let's really you know take a look at these numbers. Ryan, you said he missed a lot of guys, um, which is starting to get frustrating um, for a number of reasons, but uh, I don't think he played his best game, but he's also uh, played worse. And as Bears fans, let's be real here. We've seen a lot worse. Right. And and the inaccuracy, I think coming into the game, he had somewhere between a 70, 71 uh, completion percentage through the first six game or what, through the first five games. Um, so the accuracy was something, you know, while a lot of them are on short intermediate routes, the, the, the completion percentage was right near the top of the league. Um, you know, obviously 26 for 50 is going to put a damper on that a little bit. But what Matt Nagy pr- said a few times in his press conference was that a lot of those first half misses, you know, there was a couple in the flat to Cohen that he ended up throwing out of bounds. You know, he says, and whether he's just defending his quarterback or not, I'm not certain. You know, he says that those are essentially throwaways and that guys weren't winning their one-on-one battles early, and he was pretty much just getting the ball out in a position where it wasn't going to get intercepted. You know, that may be the case on a few, but 26 out of 50 is definitely not a good look. I think aside from the completion percentage and the the inaccuracy at times, I'm more concerned with the the decision-making. You know, the getting out of the pocket and running is great. Um, I don't know if I want to see him making a habit of stopping and looking for extra yards all the time because that's a real good way to get yourself killed. Uh, but the one play that really sticks out to me is there should never, ever be a situation where he's rolling out and he's forcing the ball into double coverage to an extra offensive lineman in the corner of the end zone. That's yeah. a play I never need to see again. Um, and, you know, Nagy said this, I, I didn't hear if Mitchell made a comment about it or not, but, you know, Nagy said that's one that he definitely knows he can't make and he wants that one back. So hopefully that's the case and we don't see a repeat of that at any point. Um, but, you know, the decision-making is something that I, I need to see continued growth in the completion percentage. I think depending on what the game plan is can sometimes be skewed, you know, it can be real high with a bunch of short routes. It can go down a little bit if they're taking some shots um, but I think what it really goes back to is it's still very early on in his development. And even with all these question marks, they still put up 31 points. So if and when he actually gets it to click, whether that's later this year or next year, you know, this offense has the ability and the possibility of really being pretty damn effective. And, you know, now it's just kind of a matter of time to see if they can actually get that done. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think you're spot on there. Um, I got two points really quickly on Mitch. Um, first one, I, I believe this stat is post the Patriots game, but it's the highest passer rating versus man coverage and the lowest passer rating versus man coverage. And Roethlisberger is at top with 118, and it's Goff, Wilson. But the lowest is Mitch at 54 and a half hmm. percent. So I, I don't know. know. I don't know if that's something that maybe the Patriots picked up on going into the game and they played a lot of man coverage because they saw Mitch wasn't handling right or if this is going to be a problem going forward where Mitch can't make throws on man coverage 
in man coverage, which I don't know. I mean, just, just something to think about. Um, interesting stat that I pulled up, and he's 7% lower than the next quarterback, which is Derek Carr at 62. Is it percent so, QBR? Oh, my bad. That is passer rating. Hundred uh, passer right. rating. So even worse though. Fifty four percent passer rating. Right. And another thing that kind of plays into some of these numbers, and it was another thing that was mentioned by Nagy in the press conference, is there was one play that if I that I think I'm remembering it correctly, he, you know, looked right and then ended up rolling and overthrew Cohen in the flat. And now Cohen was wide right. open and he overthrew him. He missed him. So there's no excuse on not completing the actual pass. But Maggie said that they were they showed blitz. Mitchell read it, and that whoever the guy on the right side of the field was, the wideout, that was supposed to be a hot route. The receiver didn't read it as hot, so he didn't run the hot route, and he, that it just wasn't there. So you know he should you know, you would hope that your quarterback has the wherewithal to stay composed and still complete the pass that was open. But how many times you know if it's happening once, is it happening more times throughout the game where the other guys on the field? are making it more difficult on Mitchell than it should be. Um, you know, not to try to build in excuses for him, but it really does end up having to be with, with the first year of a new offense. Everybody's got to be making the right decisions, the right calls as often as possible, or you're going to see some of these hiccups that, that make it look like Mitchell is regressing, which maybe he's actually not. Right. I mean, I think you're spot on with that. And uh, another thing to touch on is I think I think he played okay in that Dolphins game. The um, second half, or at least eight right. in the third quarter, was right. phenomenal. He, he, yeah, he looked he looked good. Um, I think another thing that people aren't really talking about, and maybe he should be ready for this, but these two games outside of that Dolphins game that he's lost have been very high-pressure situations. You're playing against Aaron Rodgers, who – people argue as a goat and then you're playing against Tom Brady and you're playing against two teams coming into the season that are contenders or supposed to be contenders. I don't know right. about if the Packers are a contender, but I think, um, I mean, just like the stress and strain that, that's, that, that, that has to be on Mitch is another thing that, I mean, this, this dude's essentially a rookie still. So I think he's doing very well in the scenarios he's scenarios he's been in, in these tight games I mean, yeah, it hasn't panned out, but I think those are two huge games for a guy that hasn't doesn't really have many starts under his belt. Right. I definitely agree with that. And, and I think it's important to remember, I think it was Tom Waddle that I heard say this this afternoon, every game, win or loss, can't be the referendum on whether or not Mitchell's the answer. Um, it's going to be the easy talking point. It's definitely something that I think uh, we get wrapped up in pretty easily. Um, but it really does have to be – you know, kind of just let it, let it breathe a little bit, let him grow. Um, one thing that I do want to kind of finish off with on the bears before we, before we move on, but um, you know, the defense, this is two, two weeks in a row now where, you know, maybe you're not expected to shut down Tom Brady, but the offense is scoring 31 points this week, 24, how, 24 however many they scored last week. Um, I mean, that, that should be enough to win. You would hope. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of hoping that they, you know, potentially I'd be okay if they sat Khalil Mack next week, make sure they get him right. Um, but really, really just need to see this defense get back to form with the way it was in the first four weeks. I'm sorry, Drillis. I thought you meant the, um, 
Patriots offense. Patriots offense only score, scored 24. Bears offense scored 31. You're right. Yeah, so, I mean, 31 um, points this week, however right. many they got last week. Like, the offense, I think, even with the questions, they're, they're pr- producing enough that you would expect to get right. wins no matter who you're playing. So, really just hope that this defense can kind of round back into form. Hopefully they didn't get a little too full of themselves with all the talk through the first four weeks. But definitely two winnable games coming up here with the uh, rounding out of the AFC East tour. So hopefully we're sitting at five and three halfway through the season. But that's why they play the games. They're, they're going to have to go out and execute. But that's, uh, that's pretty much what we got for the Bears. We'll move on. The, the Blackhawks are entering, what, week three of the season now or maybe week four. Um, Jerry, what have you seen so far? Where, where are the state of things for the Chicago Blackhawks? Um, if this, you ask me right now the state of things, I would have to say the Hawks have cooled down mildly. Um, they've lost four of their last six. Um and some issues with this team is just inconsistencies. They go out against Arizona, Arizona, score one goal, go to Columbus, play a beautiful game, top to bottom, and then they get, I wouldn't say smoke, but they got beat pretty bad against Tampa. I mean, that um, team's fast. Tampa's fast. Yeah, Tampa Tampa's good. I'm not taking away from them. Um, but I'm starting to – I know it's early, but I'm starting to notice a problem where this team is top-heavy. Um with Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, um, and DeBrinket are just dominating and killing it right now, which is great in all things. And, of course, the Blackhawks need those those guys to continue that. But there's no middle ground, I feel like. Yoki Haru, a guy who started off hot, young guy, he's cooled off mildly. Um, you know, I feel like Seabrook's still struggling. Um, Saad... Where do we begin with him? He's just been absolutely miserable. Um, not something you expect from a guy like that and someone you need to produce. I mean, he's been white jersey at practice for a week now. So hopefully he gets a kick in the pants here. Um, on a more positive note, Corey Crawford is back. And Looks okay. I, he does. That game in Columbus was pure Corey Crawford um, vintage. He's got a 94% save percentage right now. So he's he's looking sharp. Um, and that's a pretty big ask of a guy who's been out for a while to come back and be his normal self, the crow we know. Especially behind this defense. Behind this defense, the Swiss cheese defense, as I, I called them earlier in my blog. But um, they're still doing really well in goals for their second overall in the NHL. But goals against, they are still second to worst. So they are on polar opposites there. Good offense, bad defense. Um, so they kind of need to improve that defense. And I think they'll be all right. But. Um, like I said, I think they've cooled off mildly. And we're still waiting on, what, Connor Murphy to come back. Oh, so there there should back. be, you know, a little bit of reinforcements for that defense. But, I mean, what, they gave up, what, 34 shots in the second period alone yesterday? Yeah. Um, that's one thing else I wanted to point out is they have this weird thing with second periods. I'll pull up a stat here. Um, fact check is a they're outshot so far this year, 114 to 71 in the second period. Um, game against Tampa Bay, 33 to six um, was the final shot count. They were outshot, and then Columbus, 16 to five, they were outshot in the second period. Although Corey Crawford was able to keep them scoreless, so that's a weird issue. I'm not sure if they get comfortable or they, um, you know, I, don't, I won't say take a period off, but it's it's a it's a, it's a very weird trend right now. Is their second period blue uh, blues? Except, um, you know, F the Blues. 
I mean, how much of that falls on Q or the rest of the coaching staff? I mean, that's got to be something that they – I mean, that, that, that can't be allowed right. to continue. That, that has to be addressed. That just can't be something that you continue to struggle mm-hmm. coming out flat. I mean, in the first five – in their first five games, they had the lead at one point. Um, and as we know, they're, they were the first – NHL team to start a season off with five games going to overtime, meaning they had a lead, they couldn't keep a lead. Um, and they're being, on that note, they're being outscored nine to four in the second period so far this year. So I know you can pick and choose what stats make you look good and bad, but that's kind of a red flag to me um, that they start hot, but they cool off almost instantly and not a good trend to get into if you're the Blackhawks. Yeah, so definitely uh, up and down start to the season. Um, the overtime games could potentially have started to take a toll in terms of the physical and or mental fatigue and just readiness each game. Um, currently sitting with 10 points, kind of right there in the middle of the pack of the Central Division mm-hmm. within the Western Conference, but uh, have a I have an off day today, and I think they have the Ducks coming up tomorrow. So doesn't uh, doesn't get a whole lot easier in terms of who they're playing and, and the travel and things like that. So they're gonna have to have to get some things figured out and you know really just shore up that defense for sure. But we'll uh, we'll take a look at the the other team who calls the United Center home. The Chicago Bulls actually just finished a game out in Dallas, so they are now they now have fallen to zero and three with a one fifteen one oh nine loss down there to the Mavericks. Uh, Skinner, what have you seen so far? I mean, Zach Levine with another great game, 34 points tonight, but, I mean, they just can't seem to guard their own shadow. Yeah, um, I'm worried. Uh, I think Levine's, Levine's ceiling, I think he's shown, that, like, these through these first three, three games that his ceiling is – his upside's huge. Um, and Chris Dunn said it. Uh, the dude's athletic enough to figure out how to play defense, but he just hasn't gotten there and hasn't figured it out or put it all together. I heard Kendall Gill talk about um, offering Zach Levine some um, defensive tips, and Kendall Gill is a ball hawk. I mean, I think this dude just needs to absorb as much as he can. I don't know if it's um, just defensive thoughts, uh, being in the right spot, or he's just lazy. I don't know what it is. but uh, I mean, he might need to get something from elsewhere because I don't think Hoiberg and his guys are going to be preaching too much defense. <laughs> Bring Tom back maybe. Um, but no, I mean, I think I, I, I'm, I'm just a little worried outside of Levine showing he can score the ball at will, uh, Jabari can't play any defense. Uh, and he, Chris and Dunn, he's, he said he doesn't care to, so I'm not expecting right, that to change. I just don't really see like where he fits in in this group moving forward. And the other thing I'm a little worried, it's super early, but, uh, Wendell hasn't really looked good and I don't know where he fits I, that that's my whole thing here. I don't know where all these pieces are going to fit. Is Wendell's six nine, six ten? Can he be a five in the NBA? And if he's not a five, you have Laurie, Portis, and Parker, who should all be playing the four at this level. So I I just don't know where they're going to be able to fit Wendell in if he if he can't body up to guys like DeAndre Jordan and Embiid and Drummond. I mean, obviously that's a that's a tough three to start your career out against but he has looked pretty bad so I don't know this year's kind of like that gap year into what comes next but I'm not seeing a whole lot of positive outside of Levine being able to score the ball and another big thing Ryan um as doing some research earlier 
is we all know the NBA is a shooters league. Let's not let's not right. act like it's not. They are 29th in the league in overall threes made, Jeez. 22nd in thir- three point percentage. Um, so while Zach Levine is and has looked like a you know a scoring juggernaut so far, they're going to have to get points elsewhere, and it doesn't look like it's come from behind the arc at least this far. But even this far, I mean, who who's shooting threes on this team, and who's making the threes? I should say. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's it's not going to be campaign off the bench. Yeah, uh, I need to not see him play basketball anymore. We got Chris yeah. Dunn back after the paternity leave. Um, I mean, hopefully, hopefully they can just bury Cam at the end of the bench. I mean, that that guy is hard to watch. They just they just picked up. They got Ulysses, and then they just picked up Shaquille Harrison, who's supposed to be like a bulldog type player. But I mean, I think that's what Chris Dunn is. So right. I don't I don't know where his role fits either. They're trying to figure out the point guard stuff. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know where the shooting's going to come from. Maybe it's Denzel. Maybe Denzel becomes that spot-up guy. But he's brutal on defense, too. I mean, yeah. it's just – I don't really know and, – And I don't know if those stats – Where they the three-point stats. I don't know if those counted today or not. It looks like they shot the three pretty well today, actually. Zach was okay. five of seven. Uh, Drew Holiday, four of six. Jabari is two for uh, three. Jabari, I know. two of three. Blakeney was one of one. Chris Dunn struggled, uh, just one of four from behind the line. But, I mean, it looks like overall they shot it okay from the three today. Um, didn't translate to a win. But, um, you know, like I think one of the bigger questions that, you know, first we can't forget Laurie is out. You know, they're going to get him back at some point, and that can kind of shift the different roles and what's expected of certain guys. But going back to what you said about not really being certain where all these guys fit, what kind of problem do you run into if this is another, you know, year that turns into a tank and maybe they get off to another slow start next year and maybe Fred Hoiberg's, you know, run out of town, then what do you do? Because now you have this roster that was theoretically built for Hoiball for running gun, score as many points as you can and hope you get some stops. What do you do then? What kind of coach are you bringing in? Do you have to, are you, are you starting all over from scratch? Like that's, that's my biggest fear. And that's my, you know, worst case scenario for this team right now right and that just falls back to guard packs just I mean in Hoiberg's defense they brought this guy in to a group that played the complete opposite of what this guy has been coach his his coaching style at Iowa State was the complete opposite of what you had with Rondo uh with Pau Gasol still you had a little bit of Rose, and you had Jimmy and Wade. I mean, it was it was just a brutal situation for him to walk into. I mean, some of those dudes are a couple years younger than him, and I mean, I I don't know. I think the one flexibility they do have is Jabari comes off the books if they don't want him next year. Right. I think the only guy they're really tied into, which is a good thing. I mean, you have Laurie on his rookie contract, but then you have Levine. Outside of that, they're not really tied into anyone. Um. So flexibility wise if they do want to go a different route and go bring somebody else in um I really have no idea who I'd want right now I haven't even looked into I mean maybe you go find another guy in college a young guy yeah I mean that's a little bit down the line but I'm just thinking if it really doesn't pan out and we really have this kind of hodgepodge of guys that maybe don't even mesh well together for this system you could be kind of looking back at god forbid starting at square one again but yeah and definitely not an ideal start for the season Right, and the one thing, like, to touch on that really quick is I think you got to look at the owners at some point, and they got to be like, hey, yeah, it didn't work out with Hoiberg, but 
how many more chances are we going to give Gar Pax to do this thing? And yeah, when when are you going to go get somebody else in there and rebuild rebuild this thing? I mean, I I don't know. I I feel like no other GM and most sports in the NBA for sure has this kind of leash that they have, and I right. really just don't understand why that is. But I don't know. I mean, well, I mean. You, you kind of saw a little bit of the same thing with the White Sox. I mean, Kenny True. Williams had his run, but then he had, a, you know, a handful of years down the stretch where he was just really bad and it took them forever to get rid of him. So I think the ownership group is just, you know, not necessarily all that keen on, on taking guys out and they kind of become part of the, the stitching of the organization and they're, they're not really willing to, to move on. One of the things that I'm, you know, conflicted with is it looks like every day, especially now with the things Jimmy's coming out and saying, it looks every day like the Bulls fleeced the Timberwolves more and more in that Jimmy Butler deal, especially right. with how well Levine's playing, and that just makes Gar Pax look good. That's a little bit of a feather in their cap. So, you know, as much as I want them gone, I'm I'm fearful that that kind of bought them some extra time, which in the long run I don't think does the Bulls any favors. But I know we talked about the the records and kind of gave predictions a couple of weeks ago. And I think I said somewhere around 40 or 41 wins, you know, not even, even if they had a won a game or two so far, just the wit by the way they're playing and the fact that they can't guard, I'm thinking this might be closer to like 28 to 30 wins at this point. I mean, they just, they have really looked rough to start the season. I totally agree. And I mean, that might be I, this team, if, if they did make the playoffs at 38 to 42 wins, I mean, this team's not beaten the Celtics or the Raptors or the Sixers, no. whoever that one, two, three seeds are going to be. No. Um, so I mean, for a team to win, to like pull an upset like that, you have to have guys that can get hot and shoot the ball, which largely through three games, granted a small sample size. I don't know who you're going to bank on to get hot for a series and just start drilling threes. So Right. And, and I think it might be best case scenario for this team to be bad. And I think there are some difference makers at the top of the draft. I mean, I don't know where a guy like Zion fits on, fits in on this team. And we can talk about this more in the future, but like a guy like RJ Barrett is kind of a franchise changer where he can do it on both ends of the, do both ends of the floor. And I don't know. I mean, I think they need someone like that. I sit, like Lori's going to be good. Lori's going to be borderline all-star maybe, but I don't think they have a guy that, I don't know. I mean, un, unless Levine figures out how to play defense, they don't have a guy that you can be like, this is our guy. And he's going to lead agree. us to the promised land. Yep. I agree. So, so. 0-3 oh, through the first three is definitely not ideal or how any of us probably thought it would start, but we uh, have Wednesday and Friday coming up with a home-and-home home with the Charlotte Hornets, so uh, maybe they'll throw out the old court and throw back jerseys when they're in Charlotte. That'd be kind of fun to watch, but other than that, that's pretty much all I've got on the Bulls, but um, I think that pretty much rounds out the Chicago-specific portion of all this stuff, kind of touched on all the teams and what's going on. Um, kind of got a big thing that's starting off tomorrow on the national scale with the World Series, Boston Boston Red Sox and L.A. Dodgers. So we got the battle of the East and West Coast. What are you guys uh, What are you guys thinking for that? Got a favorite or any predictions for that? Red Sox in four. In four? Is that a uh... – No, I, I, just, I just don't want to see the Dodgers win. Right, um, yeah. How, how quickly we change from Dodgers fans over the Brewers to right. despising the Dodgers like we always do, right? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, just I mean, just probably from watching the Cubs and Dodgers battle the last couple of years, um, 
I don't know, I, I would like to not see them win on top of I don't I'm not a Manny fan anymore. I don't like how he's handled himself. Yeah, he's really uh turned the turned the nation against him there pretty quickly. And watch now I'm saying this, the Cubs are gonna go after him and bring him in or something. But um I don't know. I I, I like some of the guys in the Red Sox. I like Ben Attendee, I like Betts, I like uh I mean I think they've got some good pieces there and I think I, I'd love to see Mookie get a ring here, so um I Prediction-wise, I'm going to go Red Sox in six. I'm just so sick. I'm, I'm not like a big Boston hater, but just so sick of how good they've been across the board That's in true. all sports. Um, and their fans are insufferable. But God true. forbid you, you root for the, for the Dodgers, um, especially as a Cubs fan. And they have these guys I can't get behind, like Manny Machado. Um, I actually kind of like Yasiel Puig. He's fun to watch. He, he's like he's – like, uh, He's entertaining. He's a kid. He's like game. Javier Baez. Yeah. If he's on your team, you love him, and everybody else probably hates him. He's just weird. It's like, hard to watch. The, the the whole lick in the bat thing, though. I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's weird. weird. It's weird. That's weird. Yeah. That's a whole different level of weird entertainment. Like, I don't even <laughs> see that. I think I think Boston's a better team here, though. Um, Dodgers, they just don't seem to stop scoring runs. Yeah, Dodgers right. are hot. I think they might win, um, you know, a couple games, but I really think. And I've said it, and oh, not that this is a bold statement or by any stretch, but it's just been clear Boston's been the best team in the LD since early in the season. Um, I don't see anything slowing them down now. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we got a pretty damn good pitching matchup to start off game one, Clayton Kershaw and Chris Sale. Um, part of me wants to say the Dodgers win this one just because of what we <laughs> what we heard about Chris Sale and the reason he was sent to the hospital. Mm. Not necessarily anything we have to get into too much detail with, but the fact that he actually admitted to having an infection due to a belly button ring. Um, probably that, was con- that was confirmed? I, he, that was what was said by several different MLB writers, that he said that in the locker room. And I haven't followed up on it a whole lot, so maybe he was being a little bit uh, facetious and joking around a little bit. But if that is the case... I'm imagining he got some side eyes and uh, some crazy looks in the dugout the next day, but um, in terms of the baseball matchup, doesn't get a whole lot better than that with two dominant lefties going for game one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, in terms of who I think is going to ha- win and what I hope to happen, I, it is very tough to root against – or it's very hard to root for the Dodgers. Um, not a huge fan of the Boston fan base in general, but I definitely think Boston's the better team, and I see them taking it in five or six games. Um, that's pretty much all I got on that. I've kind of admittedly let the uh, baseball season kind of escape me after the Cubs, you know, followed it for a little bit, but Cubs falling away definitely stopped my interest a little bit there. Um, that's pretty much all I got there. Unless you guys have any, uh, final points for the world series. Let's see if Manny Machado sprints out ground balls. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the, I'm on the Red Sox bandwagon here for world series. Yeah, I can get behind the uh, wanting Mookie Betts to get the get the ring, so I'll I'll jump on for that reason as well. Um, we'll uh, we'll move on here to the dingus of the week, which I guess is kind of dingus of two weeks. You got a little bit of a wider range of uh, folks to pick from for this one, but Skinner, who you got? Um, yeah, I'm gonna jump on uh, the Rajon Rondo. He's gonna be my dingus here. Uh, I I don't I don't know what that dude is thinking. Um, I don't know if you guys ended up seeing the video that the Rockets ended up sending into the NBA, but he clearly spits on Chris Paul. Can't do that. And <laughs> I, 
I can't mean, do that in any scenario. Right, and and maybe on the football field you can get away away with it in like a in a mosh or whatever. But like, you, you, I don't understand how these guys think they can get away with something. Especially like, like they that. know there are cameras everywhere There's now. Everywhere. I mean, you're playing, and I mean that that's your job. And I I don't know. It's just and then he's got his wife, his or girlfriend or wife yelling at Chris Paul's wife and. Man, I don't know. I mean, I I like how Rondo plays. I like how he's chippy, but you gotta draw a line somewhere. And that that was just uncalled for. And that's two dirty players going back and forth at each other. But that that's just three steps of the line, I think. I agree, and I mean, I think Chris Paul somehow has managed to play his entire career pretty much going unnoticed with how dirty of a player he actually is. Uh, we don't have to right. get into a whole lot of detail on it, but I think it's just one of those things that people kind of overlook or just sort of allow him to do certain things that a lot of other guys wouldn't get, wouldn't get away with. But, you know, obviously the the spitting on somebody, that specific act is extremely, you know, you just can't do that. There's really no excuse for that. Disrespectful. Disrespectful for sure. You know, like you said, it is their job. It's supposed to be their profession. So you couldn't do that in any other line of work without getting fired immediately. But the kind of the just overall general physicality and the, you know, the hatred that there appears to be there or at least dislike, I, I kind of enjoy that. I kind of like the, you know, taking it personal, actually, you know, making sure you're going to try to go out there and be better than the other guy and, and win and dominate that I kind of like. It's a little more towards the old school type of basketball, but what actually initiated the physicality and, and the, uh, the argument is definitely uncalled for and should not be tolerated so i think yeah, it's a and, pretty, pretty uh honorable or not an honorable move but he definitely deserved the uh the dingus, the dingus i agree and i think you're spot on with i mean i think the nba needs not the spitting but it needs that little that little com- the chip more competition than yeah. chip and i mean that that little scenario can kind of turn into a rivalry here which i think is huge i think the lakers are gonna be better than most people think um, going down the stretch and once these young guys figure out LeBron a little bit more. But, um, I mean, I love how bo- – being a point guard myself, I love how both of those two play. And, um, I mean, I, I, like I said, Rondo just took it a little bit too far there. You know how disrespectful something would, would have to say to me <laughs> to, to make me want to spit in their face? I could I honestly – I can't think of anything that would make me – because I think that's one of those di- – the most disrespectful thing. Like, you have to say something horrible, heinous about my mama – and right. curse the Bears and Cubs out. You know? <laughs> well, and like, what made him do that instead of just immediately taking a swing? Like, it's just, it's just an it's an odd and kind of like interesting choice. Like, what made him do that as opposed to just taking a swing or shoving him or saying something back? Like, it's kind of a weird situation. Definitely not something you expect to see ever. Probably won't see it for quite a while. But you know, the the NBA always. Uh, always finds a way to kind of, uh, you know, market their stars. So, um, Jerry, what do you got for your dingus to follow that up? I don't know if you're going to be able to follow that up. Um, well, I probably won't, and it's a biased dingus, but I will um, roll with it. My dingus of the week is the Michigan State Spartans football team. Um, it went viral. They did this. They did their – traditional Spartan walk where they all hold hands and skip across the field. And um, there's a few Michigan players out on the field. One of them being Devin Bush, um, probably top five linebacker in the country. 
I mean, he didn't move for them, and he started a whole ruckus, scuffed up the field. Everyone's throwing fuss, saying he's a dirty player, blah, 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 blah. Um, but Jim Harbaugh, and take this what I'm saying with a grain of salt because I am biased very much so towards Michigan. Um, but he brings up a good point. During the pregame, they get half the field, you get half the field to warm up and do whatever you want. Why do they have to move? He wasn't doing anything. Devin Bush wasn't doing anything wrong. Um, and I think Michigan State people are overreacting. They got their butts whooped. He didn't even get 100 yards of offense. Um, so Devin Bush showed up. He took care of business. The whole team did. And Sparty, you are my dingus of the week. Little brother forever. <laughs> nothing, nothing better than a college football rivalry. Uh, so you, you both went real recent. Didn't uh, didn't go back into last week during our time off, but I'm also going to do a lot more of a recent dingus. Going to go all the way back to yesterday morning, first NFL game of the week, or of Sunday at least. And the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Vrabel, making at very best a questionable decision. Uh, they score a touchdown to go down one point. So they bring themselves to within one point with a touchdown with 40 seconds to go. And instead of just kicking the extra point and forcing overtime, he decides to go for the win, go for two. And the first first effort at it was an incomplete pass that was actually called defensive holding. So they get a second opportunity at it. And uh, Mariota throws the ball through the back of the end zone incomplete again. And Tennessee loses by one point. So to fly all the way over to London and not even extend the game and try to give yourself a legitimate chance to win it. Mike Rabel took the onus on himself to put the entire game on one play and it definitely backfired. So Mike Rabel, you get dingus of the week out of me and uh, the Titans again, prove that they are not legit and they are far from a competitor. Um, other than that, that kind of rounds out the dingus, I believe. Wait, Dre, I think you uh, missed the, the bonus dingus of the week, uh, and you were in for there in person. My The bonus dingus of the week collectively, wasn't it the Ohio State Buckeyes getting absolutely clobbered against the Purdue Boilermakers, the same Purdue, Purdue, Pete. Bo- Purdue Boilermakers that lose to MAC teams every year, just getting <laughs> absolutely stomped? Oh, my gosh. I, this is coming from a Michigan fan bias, but it was just fantastic to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big-time Notre Dame fan. I uh, used to think Michigan was the worst worst thing on the planet, but after living in Ohio for several years, Ohio State definitely took that as the uh, the worst fan base and the worst just football culture in terms of having to deal with their fans. Um, but, I mean, that's something that I, I love to see. Um, I was with some people who were Ohio State fans, so I couldn't necessarily show my, my enjoyment of what was going on, but that was that was great, you know, for it to be a non Notre Dame football game that I enjoyed that much, you know, it has to, that's saying a lot, but it was a lot of fun to see Ohio state kind of get it handed to them. So other than that, we'll kind of move to our final thoughts. Um, I don't know if anybody has, you know, anything, you know, big to touch on. Um, one big thing I want to touch on quick is switch, st- uh, staying on college football, but switching gears to the sec, huge game in the sec East. Uh, Florida's going to Georgia. That's going to be um, enormous for those uh, conference championship and um, really big for the CFP. I want to say, I dare to say, loser of that game doesn't stand a chance uh, to make college football playoff. Both are, I believe, six and one, seven and one. Um, Florida sitting in first place in the SEC East. 
um, Georgia second, um, one, two. So we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting for college football shakeup. Yeah. So for, for me, um, you know, a couple of different things with the Ohio state loss, I definitely shook up the, the rankings, um, you know, move Notre Dame up to three, Michigan bumps up to five. So kind of a little bit of a uh, shakeup there. And, and the amount of teams that are in play for the playoff is a little more clear potentially um, if the unbeatens went out and a, and a couple of conferences shake out a certain way. Um, but other than that, we're just about a month away now from the big Tiger Phil matchup. So I'm starting to, uh, you know, I would expect to start to see some promotions for that. Um, maybe a little trash talk back and forth between the two guys, but definitely looking forward to that Thanksgiving weekend. And that's about all I have. So um, it sounds like we may have lost Skinner here. Um, but other than that, we, we appreciate you guys tuning in. This is what now episode three. And um, we appreciate you guys tuning in and we will be back on a weekly basis after our little hiatus there, but uh, have a good night and we'll see you next time. Bears.